Hi everybody, JP here with a quick word before today's episode. This one is another dispatch from Dr. Wang's globetrotting. I'll tell you, that man probably has more airline miles than I have medical school debt. But seriously, this is a conversation he had about a very important issue in contemporary neurosurgery. You could argue that stroke, acute ischemic stroke, has one of the largest deltas in neurosurgery, right up there with acute hydrocephalus. If you think about it in terms of how bad someone looks when you meet them versus how much they improve with prompt, appropriate treatment. And we're really living in a heyday for stroke. There's been a number of large international trials published in the past year that have expanded the indications for mechanical thrombectomy. With that in mind, starting today and for the next few weeks, we're going to have a couple episodes in a row exploring the scope of modern stroke management and the evolving role of neurosurgeons in that treatment framework. So stay tuned as we examine this very important topic. This is the Neurosurgery Podcast. Welcome back to the Neurosurgery Podcast. I am actually in Rochester, New York. Uh, Dr. Webster Pilcher and Bill Demopoulos brought me out here, uh, and I've just had an amazing time here at Strong Memorial. And Dr. Pilcher introduced me to a fine, uh, young neurosurgeon. I can, can I call you that, Tarun? Young sure. neurosurgeon? I, I don't feel young, but of course. Okay, yeah. And um, I, I was hearing about this project you're doing, but, but Tarun, please first introduce yourself. Tell us where you're from, uh, how you trained, and your specialty. Sounds good. Uh, my name is Tarun Bala. I'm an endovascular neurosurgeon here at the University of Rochester. I run the uh, stroke center here from, uh, from the neurosurgical side, along with our neurology counterparts. Okay, and, um, and you, you're an endovascular neurosurgeon, meaning you take care of strokes, aneurysms, stuff like that? Yes, everything. Okay. Um, and we have a pretty busy program here, and we, after a couple of years I had gotten here, um, I initially trained in Cleveland, and Cleveland was at the forefront of launching a mobile stroke unit, and I looked at what the benefits in their community were. When we got here, there were so many similarities between Rochester and Cleveland that I thought it made perfect sense for us to try that experiment here. Um, we were successful in, in launching the mobile stroke unit. However, what we noticed in the city was we weren't quite getting the number of calls we thought we should be getting from the EMS data from the inner city, where, frankly, a lot of the people aren't getting care. Um, when we looked at that from a deeper dive, what we noticed is that a lot of the, the, the 10 poor zip codes in Rochester were the ones that were probably being the most underserved. And our outcomes for some of those people related to stroke and cerebrovascular disease were probably among the worst when compared to, when compared to their suburban counterparts. Okay, I want to back you up there because not all of our listeners, and I would say I will plead ignorance here as well, what is a mobile stroke unit? What is that? Yeah, that's a great question. So a mobile stroke unit is essentially a primary stroke center on wheels. It houses a CAT scanner. It houses all sorts of advanced telecommunications equipment. It houses a CT tech and a critical care nurse. And what it allows people to do is if somebody's having a stroke, your EMS system can send out this entity, which plugs the patient directly in with a vascular neurologist on camera to determine whether they need IV thrombolytics on scene. And if they don't need IV thrombolytics, say they're not in the time window, do they need some sort of other mechanical thrombectomy or other, other kind of procedure, they don't need to go to a primary stroke center. They can bypass the to, directly to a comprehensive stroke center. So it really is an efficiency of time. And the 
best thing we've noticed is even with the best emergency rooms, and our emergency room here is fantastic, but that's had many, many challenges. Okay, so I want to back you up there because this is such an interesting concept to me. So what you're saying is that there is a truck, like is it a semi-truck? It's, or an, am- it's an ambulance. It's, it's an a, it's ambulance. A big ambulance. It's a big ambulance because it's got a CT scanner in it, right? right? This ambulance drives out to a shopping mall or a home or apartment, mm-hmm. and then they bring the patient right into this ambulance. Yep. And they scan them in the ambulance. That's right. And they f- make a diagnosis, and there's a neurologist on telehealth or something like that? Correct. And if they need thrombolytics, they're getting thrombolytics. Right, in the ambulance. But they don't do interventional, like, thrombectomies or anything like no, that? No, 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 no. Could not, they? We're not I mean, there yet. Well, not with the infrastructure inside an ambulance. You'd need, a, like, an angio suite, like, biplanar. Yeah, yeah, okay. Absolutely. But one day. Who maybe. knows? Now, to me, okay, so it, someone makes a call, 911. Ambulance rolls out, normal ambulance rolls out there. And then those paramedics who obviously have to be trained for this, mm-hmm. they call in this mobile unit. What happens is when a, a stroke type diagnosis call is made, our EMS or our um, call center is trained to look for buzzwords that the patient oh. might, might be saying. At that time, a regular ambulance and the mobile stroke unit are dispatched at the same time. Oh, I see. If it winds up being a stroke, the regular ambulance goes back into circulation for all the other calls that they yeah. have to deal with. If it's not a stroke, our ambulance goes now, back. This is so because I was going to ask, like, can't the ambulance just drive back to the hospital as quickly as this can get out? But you're saying it's contemporaneous; it's a parallel. Same time. Yeah, so they always bring the EMS normally, and then they bring this in addition. And sometimes it's not really a stroke or whatever. Yeah, right? sometimes you know, sometimes it's just somebody who's who's drunk, somebody somebody who had a seizure, somebody you know who's who's not having any ischemic stroke type symptoms. And and how many of these units are there in the city of Rochester, New York? We have one. Um, oh it was wow! Pretty pretty expensive. Um, it was about one point five million dollars for the capital, and then about another seven hundred thousand dollars a year just to run the FTEs. And for a small city like Rochester, that's actually a pretty big deal for what us. What do you do if it's getting its oil changed or tires changed or something? <laughs> well, yeah, so we don't run twenty four seven. Right now, we run Monday through Friday. We're expanding the hours after a few years, and staffing has been a big deal after the pandemic and getting appropriate people trained. Wow, that's now. This is. Are there any other mobile units in the country? Oh yeah, yeah. Tell, tell me about that. There's probably now about two dozen mobile units around the okay. country. Houston was the first. Okay. They really sort of pioneered this. Um, Cleveland was number two, and each of their communities has really benefited from this. And there have been trials now that have shown the benefit of this. Initially, all this was started in Germany, um, where the Germans were driving around Berlin and Hamburg, and um, really providing IV TPA to people on the streets. I mean, it can be dangerous, right? A TPA is such a powerful drug. But uh, Dr. Pilcher said that you had philanthropic support for this, right? We did. We were very fortunate to have a donor. Um, from, you, can from you name the donor? Is it okay or is it anonymous? Yeah, her, her name was Elena Prokopitz. Um, she, she was very generous with respect to selling her home. At the time, she was uh, transitioning out of Rochester but really wanted to leave a mark. Wow. And um, we used the uh, proceeds from her home to – Did uh, she have a stroke herself or is, how did she even get involved? No, she was – she was very connected to the hospital and connected to cardiovascular disease and had seen what the hospital and the community can do. And this was a, a cause that, uh, you know, really, really rung home with her. Yeah, you know, I've been very struck on this campus uh, by my, my wife worked at Strong Memorial when she was like doing her OT and all that. She has great memories of this place. I'm sorry she couldn't come. But, you know, Dr. Pilcher was telling me all about the, the, the tremendous philanthropic efforts. And I just want to make the shout out. I know Barth Green was interviewed in a podcast two years ago by us, but neurosurgeons really uh, have been good about finding um, donors, you know, philanthropic donors to try to move the needle on big problems like stroke, for example, yeah. or spinal cord injury. 
Yeah. So, so let's go a little further into this. So now Dr. Pilcher also told me that you've now not only built this mobile stroke unit, but you've built a way of reaching out to, and you mentioned it briefly, to underserved communities through this m- model, if you will, right, or system, yeah. right? Can yeah. you tell me about that? Yeah. So as, as I was saying before, you know, what we noticed was that a lot of the calls that we were getting really weren't from the poorest neighborhoods inside the city of Rochester. Um, and we started digging a little bit deeper. I mean, these, these, these underserved communities house African-American, Hispanic, and really socioeconomically disadvantaged populations. And these are the people that have the highest risk of stroke or having bad outcomes from stroke. For example, for an African-American, they're much more likely about two and a half, three times higher to die from a stroke mm-hmm. or even you know, initially have the event to begin with. So we wrote a grant to a local healthcare foundation. Um, it's about a million dollars that they that they decided to fund us with, which allowed us to hire stroke educators, go out into the communities, go out into the barber shops, the churches, the local health fairs, and really start educating people about their stroke symptoms. Because what was really happening is that these people were ignoring their symptoms until it was too late. They were outside the thrombolytic window, or their strokes were too big by the time they got to us. They didn't qualify for thrombectomies. And really, it's 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 multifactorial in a city like Rochester, right? There's a sense of nihilism among the among the kind of populace where if you have three jobs and you need that to put food food on your table when you wake up with a numb arm you're not going to really pay attention to that you're going to you're going to tough it out and by the time it really becomes an issue and you can't move your arm and you can't walk well by that time your stroke is probably done but you could have done something about that three hours ago had you recognized your symptoms yeah they talk about these diseases of disparity yeah, and right. is this ohio river valley or what, what would we call rochester it's oh, rochester is in the finger lakes it's, finger lakes yeah but it's got that uh, old industrial not it's not rust belt but it's got that feel right buffalo rochester Syracuse. definitely there is there is certainly that sense of of the city that has been abandoned yeah um, sort of feel to it i mean great american cities but for the for the I don't want to say blue collar worker, but for for a lot of families, it has been difficult. The economic, although it's getting revitalized now, the economic problems. I mean, in Miami, we have different problems, but it's it's tremendous what you're doing. So tell me about exactly how this reach, outreach happens. Like what? How do you get to? I mean, health disparities and health care disparities are a very important, timely topic, right? Um, tell us about how you actually go about reaching out to these. Um, these geographic areas or these populations. Yeah, so we we identified these populations that were not getting the services that they needed, had a big gap in stroke education. Um, We also thought it was important for the messenger to be just as important as the message, Mm -hmm. meaning somebody that either looked like me could not necessarily go and provide this message. It had to be somebody that was culturally sensitive and maybe a part of the community itself. So we we then partnered with local community organizations um, in Rochester, ones that focus on African-American health, ones that focus on Hispanic health. And then we, we also have a unique situation in Rochester where it's a city, but once you get out, maybe about 10 miles out, you're in rural country mm-hmm. and the rural population has its own challenges mm-hmm. where it doesn't matter about the color of your skin, but you've got to go a much longer way or you're a farmer or you, you really don't understand, you know, how to get your health system activated that yeah. you need to. Um, so we thought it was important to also sort of touch that population with the same message. So these, these healthcare, or, these really community organizations were empowered with the messages, the the techniques of the education, and in providing all this message in a culturally sensitive manner. And then they're the ones that are sort of actually on the ground providing this, this message. Um, my staff and I, we certainly hold different talks around around uh, the months and the years, but uh, this has been a great project. Well, Tarun, I, I want to respect your time because I know you're busy, but I, I want to 
get back to how people can help because, you know, philanthropy is important, but so is manpower. And I'm sure there are many, we have about 5,000 listens a week. So there's, I'm sure there are young people out there listening who are thinking, wow, this sounds like a great project that I would like to be involved in. Tell us a little about like how they could reach out to you and maybe spell your name because you, you didn't, we didn't go over who you are. You're a associate professor here, right? That's correct. At, at Rochester. You're a neurosurgeon, right, right? On faculty. Maybe spell your name. If you're willing to offer your email to, to hear from people out there. Oh, sure. And again, very few patients listen to this. This is really a podcast that's targeted at people who are professionals. Yeah. So my name is Tarun Bala. It's T-A-R-U-N, last name B-H-A-L-L-A. The email address is first name underscore last name. Underscore is a slash, right? Like the underscore underlining. Slash. Okay. Right. Underlining. I'm sorry, underline is not a slash. It's yep. like underlining. So there's a space that's just got the underline on that's it. That's right. Okay. So, so say it again. I'm sorry I interrupted yeah. you. It's first name underscore last name at urmc.rochester.edu. And we'd be happy to discuss in ways that, uh, you know, you can make an impact in your communities using similar approaches. I think the key to realize is Every community is going to have its own set of resources and challenges and needs, and it's very difficult to be pres- to be prescriptive about this. I mm-hmm. think you have to sort of adapt and figure out what's on the ground and, and what exists. Um, but we can certainly have a discussion about that if anybody's interested in reaching out. That's fantastic. And if you, if you didn't catch that email, you can always email us at nursesurgerypodcast at gmail.com, and we'll connect you with Tarun. Tarun, it's really been a pleasure. Uh, this is a short recording because I know you need to run to the OR, but I want to thank you for taking the time. What you're doing is amazing. I, I, Dozens, if not hundreds or thousands of lives are being changed by what you're doing. And maybe through this podcast, more people are going to get motivated to donate or work or build programs uh, to, to, to help us with. I mean, stroke is, at least before, was the number three killer of Americans. It's still in the top five, I believe, right? It is still in the top five. Yeah, fantastic. Well, great job and congratulations. What a pleasure to meet you. Thank you. You too. Disclaimer time. The opinions and ideas expressed in this show are solely those of myself, Dr. Wang, and our guests. They do not represent the opinions of any professional institution or organization. This show is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute the giving of medical or legal advice. Listening to or participating in this show does not constitute continuing medical education or any other professional certification. It's just a show, everybody.